Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, season is underway. We are back. Uh, and Ben Godar with me, as always, is my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Well, I'd be doing better if the Cardinals had not just been swept at home by an Atlanta Braves team that looks you know, let's be frank, uh, after the last three games, head and shoulders (laughs) above the St. Louis Cardinals, at least where the St. Louis Cardinals are right now. Uh, At least, you know, the Braves, I think, I feel confident saying are the class of the National League. So if they're going to get swept by anyone, uh, this is the team I would want to get swept by. Yes, this is an organization that is far better run than the Cardinals. Um, (laughs) And... uh, their ownership is better. They make more profits. They have better players. If you're going to lose, you want to lose to Atlanta. Their mascot um, even is more they, racist. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're unapologetically racist. They boo our Native American closer for saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that <laughs> um, with, with their stupid chop. Um, no, in all honesty, though, I really dislike uh, the Braves of an, as an organization, even though I like a lot of the players on their team and I right. like watching them play. And, and, and t- uh, tough so, to argue with the product on the field, though. No. Uh, and with Acuna looking, you know, like last year, obviously he came back, but I don't know how healthy he necessarily looked. Yeah. Like it, it, it and it's early and, you know, he made some nice plays, but he definitely looks a very Acuna esque uh, this year. Like he's, you know, like he's about all the way back uh, from that uh, injury. And I, he's always been fun to watch. Their whole team's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, they're just, yeah. they're, they're good players. And, you know, when your front office's approach to uh, creating a pitching staff is, you know, just sort of pitch to contact jobbers because we play in a pitcher friendly ballpark, you're going to have series like this against really good lineups. So, yeah, you know, you, you take the good with the bad. Well, Ben, uh, on our last show, which we recorded after just a single game of the regular season, we did not do our typical what have we learned because we said, of course, it's only been one game. It would be silly to say what have we learned. Now it's been an entire six games. So clearly we have much, much more information to go with now. So, Ben, with this wealth of information we now have, what have we learned? Um, I have learned, I think, definitively – uh, that my opinion on Jordan Walker before the season, and you were right, I was wrong. Uh, so I think you'll uh, appreciate uh, this, what I've learned even more so. I'm, you, I'm you already right. appreciating he, he, it. You haven't even yeah, said yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Jordan Walker is a big leaguer. You know, I'm not saying he's an all-star. I'm not saying he's a rookie of the year, but I, we've seen so many players make their major league debuts and they look like, you know, they're, they're struggling to keep their head above water because it's a lot, you know, and the, the players are very good. They're constantly making adjustments and those adjustments are going to come. And he might look a little bit like, you know, he's, he's struggling to keep his, his chin above the water line there. Um, but I, I think right now he is going out, he's taking, uh, good at bats. He's putting very good swings on the ball and having some very high quality contact. And today, of course, he hit his first major league home run. Uh, 
so it's it's even more of a confirmation. But even if he had not done that today, uh, I would be saying the same thing. Jordan Walker looks like a big leaguer. He looks like he belongs as a starting outfielder on a pennant contending team. Uh, I think it was the right decision to promote him. And I know it's only been two series, but I'm just going on quality of at-bats more than defense, which was the real reason uh, I think I was skeptical that he would be called up because I thought they would want to give him more time in the outfield. And the outfield play hasn't been like great, but Mm. you watch him play and you just kind of feel like, yeah, I think he can probably learn to be an average, maybe a little above average outfielder in the majors. And his plate appearances are really good. And his swing and quality of contact, uh, just it's, it's impressive. Like he is, I, I saw uh, Fine Sand on Twitter had a, he had an article about whether uh, Volp of the Yankees um, or Walker would be the better rookie this year. And after that went to print, he got a text message from an American League executive uh, who said that Jordan Walker is T-Rex, then used the T-Rex emoji and said, he's a monster, exclamation point. <laughs> and like every, like, you know, he grounds out at like 113 miles an hour. And I'm like, he is, he's just a monster. Yeah. Like the, 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 he hits the ball so hard so often it's really wild and uh so i have learned that uh my i think conservative overly conservative take on jordan walker uh as we headed into spring training was wrong and you were right and the cardinals are right uh he belongs in the major leagues and i think he's going to have uh, a long major league career no, oh, well, uh, I uh, no, I, I've been impressed by Jordan Walker as well, and and yeah, I was, uh, I guess, uh, felt like this was the right move, but you know, we had to see it as well, right? And I certainly didn't thought that yeah, you could, we, we could very well come up and see him get overmatched or get quickly frustrated or things like that. So, like you, I have been impressed by what I have seen. Um, you know, now I wish that my what have we learned would be something that, uh, you know, that, that you had said that I had disagreed with so I could say you were right about this. But mine is actually something else that I feel like I was right about. So I just really come out like an egomaniac here today. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something else that um, I had kind of mentioned actually that I said I was going to be looking for um, in the preseason was uh, uh, Brendan Don and e- Donovan exit velocity um, because we knew that was something he would work on this offseason. Um, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, and, uh, Ben Clemens at Fangraphs, I think we had mentioned had written really the sort of definitive piece of the off season about Donovan and how, you know, he made all this contact, but it was just very, very weak contact. And, um, you know, just what, a not very promising profile that was long-term because yes, he was getting on base a lot, but of course, when pitchers figure that out, uh, they're just going to start throwing you strikes because they, they know you can't do anything with it. Um, and yet we knew that he went to the uh, the Marucci hitting lab and got the new bat and the swing adjustment and everything. And so coming into the preseason, it was all, well, you know, has, you know, has he got improved that added some power, added some exit velocity. And I feel like in spring training, you know, we saw those spring training home runs. So it was definitely like, Oh, you know, this looks promising, but you always take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's spring training, you know, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Um, well, we're a few games into the regular season, 
And um, while it is only a few games, um, you know, things like stat cast metrics, we can trust a little more quickly than we can some other things. Um, last season, Brendan Donovan's uh, max exit velocity, he was in the 28th percentile. Uh, ben, do you know where he is in 2023? I do not, Mr. Godar. Please share. Uh, he is in the 80th percentile. So that's a pretty massive jump that he's he's put together there. And so, um, I mean, it's really a, a very, very impressive thing, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, speaks to a player like Donovan. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, a guy like Donovan who's not uh, – we just talked about Jordan Walker, who's just, a, you know, a, a monster, as you said. You know, Brendan Donovan was never a, a guy who I'm sure scouts were like, just look at all these tools and look at this body and look at this and that. So, you know, it makes sense that Brendan Donovan is, is a, a guy who probably for his whole career has had to, um, you know, build himself and fix things and, you know, kind of add add pieces. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but it, it's it's really looking like he has added that that power and that exit velocity that was not there last year. And I mean, I I feel like the sky is almost the limit with him with that kind of. Um, you know, if he can do that kind of damage, making the kind of contact he did last year, and then, you know, in doing so, you know, maintain, you know, reasonably the kind of on base percentage he did. I mean, I just my expectations for Donovan have just really skyrocketed from where they were um, in the offseason. And I, I'm really bummed now because I think you got him in our preseason war draft. So I feel like I should have drafted him much higher. <laughs> hey, I think you got Tommy Edmond though. So. I did. I do have Tommy Edmond. So yeah, uh, I got that. So going you've for still me. you've still got one of the best players in the league, according to Ricky Horton. So. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so uh, we do have a couple kind of main topics we're going to dig into today, and then um, we have a, a, a number of uh, listener questions we're going to get to later on. Ben, our first main topic we're going to dig into today uh the uh the cardinals as we sit here through the first six games of the season have a record of uh two and four i have that right don't i two and four am i, I yes yes so two After wins the sweep at the hands of the braves yeah, yeah. Two, 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 and four. two wins four losses my question to you um are those four losses the result of tyler o'neill dogging it on the bases um well you know, Ali Marmal, who was in full psychopath NCA football coach mode, by the way. Uh, and we and we kind of talked about this. You know, he has this brand for being like a straightforward communicator. And that is not a bad thing. But when you have a conversation with someone behind closed doors and that person walks out of the room after that conversation and feels it went one way and then you go to the media and you throw that person under the bus uh, and then the media goes to that person and that person feels blindsided you have you know damaged your relationship with that person and it's also possible that you have damaged your relationship with uh, that person's teammates who may feel that your treatment of that person was not fair. And and so uh, I was pretty surprised at the whole situation because, number one, you had O'Neill at second base. Uh, 
you have a lefty on the mound, okay, and you have do up there, and there's a ball in play to the outfield to Acuna, who we talked about uh, earlier here in the episode, and you know if if I had to describe Acuna's arm, the word cannon comes to mind. <laughs> Um, you know, like it's hard for me to envision any sort of scouting or data that the Cardinals looked at in preparation of the series. And they were like, yeah, we want to try to take the extra base on Acuna whenever we can, mm -hmm. especially if it's raining and we don't really have good footing, you know, yeah. now it's raining for him too, which maybe that played into it. But I just, I can't imagine going into that series. They were like, Hey, if you're on second base and there's a single to right, we want you pushing for home. You know, this isn't this isn't Marcelo Zuna out there, right? right like, right. and and so, I, number one, just even if setting aside who was due up, I don't understand sending him in that scenario. You're you're down by multiple runs. You need to score more runs after this one, uh, and then you have players who hit, and we've covered this ad nauseum on this podcast. Uh, Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson are very good against lefties. And we have even said this is when they should bat high in the order. And that's what the Cardinals did. So you had those guys coming up. So nothing about this made any sense. And when Marmal was asked about it, he totally deflected and just laid it all on O'Neill, not running his hardest. And O'Neill kind of said, I, I was running hard. I mean, I think we can all agree that's not as fast as we've seen Tyler O'Neill run. But then I think we can also all agree it was raining out. Like, you know, like you, there's there's some give and take there to keep your footing. And so the whole thing was very weird. And, mm -hmm. and the fact that Marmal came so hard after him mm -hmm. and made no effort to even you know, shield him from criticism in the press. And it's even just something as benign as, you know, we want to be aggressive on the base paths. And in those conditions, it didn't work out as well as we would have hoped with Tyler running. Um, but that doesn't mean that we aren't going to continue to be aggressive and, and try to take the extra base. Just something as benign as that, where you kind of blame the conditions and Tyler knows you know, you were not happy with it, I, I think goes a lot further. Um, but then it escalated with Tyler and O'Neill and the media saying, no, like I, I have played hard my whole career. I don't think that goes out the window. And I was running on that play. And so uh, it was pretty interesting uh, to me that then it escalated even further today, you know, with Marmal going on a, a weird college football rant about how they're going to be known for being aggressive and smart. And then O'Neill being like, you know, I think some things can be handled behind closed doors and I don't know how we move forward from this. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm paraphrasing, but uh, it seems like there's some tension there and I'm interested to see how Marmol, cause this is really the first time I feel like he's had a bump in the road like this where a player well, feels he has not been treated fairly. Well, I, I, um, I may disagree with you there, Ben, and maybe with a player and maybe that we know of, but the one thing that can potentially concerns me about this is, you know, I just, I worry about this 
falling into what I'm starting to see as a little bit of a pattern from Marmol, just in terms of how he, frankly, how he deals with people. And uh, I got to be honest, it was at least, uh, you know, a, a, a yellow flag to me, the fact that in the offseason, uh, his hitting coach and his pitching coach both left the organization, <laughs> one of whom said he left it because left because he didn't like the atmosphere he was in. The other one who said, I'm old, I'm going to retire. And then a week later took another job. I mean, that's, you know, that, uh, yeah, you know, that's something, but I'll tell you the, the, the thing that happened that really, I was just like, honestly, was the, the CB Buckner thing in spring training. They had, you know, in the first oh. spring training game, the first spring training game. Right. And they have this lingering thing from last year. Right. And I guess CB Buckner refuses to shake his hand, which, okay, that's a, that's a douchebag thing to do. Like that's, you know, CB Buckner's being a, a, a douche there. I'm not saying that that's a great guy, but then after the game, Marmol in the interview says, uh, I have no respect for him as a man. That's the quote <laughs> that he gives yeah. after a, a spring training game. Like, like what kind Look for of an umpire who you're going to have multiple yes. times this year and dozens of times in the years ahead. Yeah. And your, your cost benefit analysis as a leader of this organization was, this is the moment I'm going to choose to go nuclear. And that, that kind of alarms me just as like, and again, you, you and I have managed people. And like, I just think a big part of that is picking your spots and like understanding, like, when you know choosing your battles and right like so even in a situation where you feel like this person has wronged me or maybe i don't have a lot of respect for this person or whatever it might be and whether you manage that person or it's just a coworker, it's somebody you have to work with you're in any kind of a professional relationship right like if you have to work with someone on a regular basis um saying i have no respect for you as a man is just generally not uh, a smart move to make and it's a frankly it's a childish move it's a it's a very yes, childish move and that's what concerns me yes it's very immature and it's uh it's when have you ever gone nuclear on someone in a professional setting and and not regretted it never that now i've never i've yeah right like or seen someone go nuclear like i've never gone nuclear on someone in a professional setting you know like it's you you have to you have to be professional and mature about things right. especially and you know i i remember i had uh someone who was more senior to me you know we got done with this meeting and someone was behaving very unprofessionally and you know, I was just following this person's lead. And when we got done, I, I said, you know, what, how, you know, like that was really horrible. And he goes, well, you know, Ben, uh, when you reach a certain level, you lose the right to think out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and basically like everything you say has to be measured and you have to think yeah. about the ripple effect of yeah. what you're about to do. Yeah. And it feels like almost like, uh, Marmol, even though he has had time to think about what he's going to say, mm -hmm. it feels like he has diarrhea of the mouth and he's just spitting what he feels, uh, yeah. spewing it out into the world. Yeah. And uh, and it it's also one of those things, though, where the other players see this. Yeah. And, you know, some of them might be like, yeah, Tyler could have gone harder or whatever. Um, but I, I think uh, I think the overall response might be, well, yeah, but 
he goes hard. You know what I mean? Like we've been playing and, and it, it just, I think you get into this where you're starting to kind of make people pick sides. And I don't think that's a good spot to be in if you're the manager of a major league clubhouse. No, it's not. And, and I would say like my, honestly, my overarching reaction to this entire thing and any like, you know, clubhouse kind of feud is, is like, I hate these stories because yes. like, we just like, we, we know so little, right? Like we don't know yeah. anything about what goes on behind the closed doors. And we don't know if this is like the beginning of a thing, or this is the culmination of a thing. And we don't know, you know, we don't know all the ins and outs. And, and so I just really, um, I'm not interested in like picking it apart I, these kind of things, I really hate how much it brings out the like, uh, I played high school football guys who want to like, talk about like, oh, yeah, you go, you go hard or you go home. And then people get into the arguments about like, well, when do you when do you give 100% and when do you don't give 100% and, and just like all of the that nonsense, just I, I, I hate those arguments. So, so in general, my response to these kind of things is like, I want to walk away. This one, again, though, just with some of what we've seen from Marmol, it concerns me. And especially with what we've just talked about, the way some of these things have kind of leaked out into the public, it really does make me wonder, like, well, geez, what's going on behind closed doors? Because I almost feel like that's got to be pretty rough if this if, you know, if if I have no respect for him as a man is you say that at a at a press conference, like after you've had time to process things, it does concern me. Like, like what is the atmosphere like, you know, in, in a heated moment when maybe you, you are a little more off the cuff. Yeah. And it also makes you wonder, you know, like Marmol is not that accomplished, you know, like as, as CB Buckner young, pointed out to him. Yeah, well, but that's exactly what I was going to get at is he's not that accomplished. And, you know, like he doesn't have Albert Pujols in the clubhouse anymore, his landlord and business partner to help, yeah. you know, bolster his credentials. And yeah. then Pujols is, you know, very good friend Yadier mm -hmm. Molina to help right. him as well. And it makes you wonder if maybe insecurity is fueling some of this with the whole like, I don't respect him as a man, mm -hmm. you know, like stepping, just going completely over the top to Buckner to me yeah. suggests that it's probably insecurity driven and uh and then he also seems to know like I don't recall him saying anything about Yadier Molina's effort on the base paths right. last year right you know which no everyone knows I am the president of the hashtag team Yadi fan club but Fat Yachty was not really running the bases in the strictest sense. Well, and that's you know? why, and that's and, why I hate to get into these, these these discussions because it's like, first of all, obviously these guys are professional athletes; they need to take care of their bodies. So the idea that they should be running as fast as they can at every moment is completely ludicrous. At the same time, there is a point where the you know when you point out that you know Yadi was changing into his catcher's gear and eating a sandwich on his way to first base, there were points where it was like probably a valid point, and the <laughs> fact that you know he was being held to a different standard than Harrison Bader was, it was like that was probably a reasonable conversation. But again, like I, me as like a guy watching the games on my couch at home. I just don't want to get involved in that. And I yeah. feel like my, I don't know enough to really, it's, it's just, yeah. The, but the, the funniest thing to me is it immediately reminded me as a contrast to, you know, like, like the man who 
you know, was the play a hard nine, get every edge, Tony La Russa, right? And when did he, you know, there, there are a handful of times where he went nuclear, right? Yeah. And one of those times was against Al Raboski when Al Raboski criticized Yadier Molina for not running out of pop-up that fell. Yeah. And La Russa just like it was like a vendetta, like a Sicilian vendetta against him. And I think he even he went so hard, Raboski apologized. Yeah. <laughs> and, but... and it and it and it's hilarious because it's the opposite, right? He's like, yeah. How dare you criticize my player for not running this out? Because we have to play 162 games and he's my catcher. Yeah. He doesn't have to run that out. You know, and like, yeah. and then you've got this on the on the flip side of it where it's you know, it's the fifth game of the season in April in the rain, yeah. and we're going to make an example of Tyler O'Neill for not going all out. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a very different dynamic. Well, and the th- you know, I have to say the thing about Larusa, even when he would go nuclear, and even if it felt like it was it was in a moment of passion in a post game interview, I always felt like he had it perfectly calculated and he did not he did not throw a player under the bus until he had decided i am completely done with this player yes. and saint or it's, or he didn't throw in it like a, a, a it would be it like an umpire or any kind of a, a team official or anything like that he did not do that until he felt like this relationship is over and and i am you know what i mean and 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 frankly you yes. I, you never saw him do that with something like an umpire the way that marmol did here no. because he knew that he was going to need favors from those people you know yeah. like don, don tony understood how uh how yes. things worked yes and he uh everything was either to manipulate or motivate motivate through manipulation and it he, he always reminded me of Humphrey Bogart in the Maltese Falcon when he he pretends to lose his temper with the fat man in the hotel room and throws stuff around and then he walks out in the hotel smiles straightens straightens his tie and gets in the elevator like it's just the total work and he just <laughs> did it to make people think he's crazy and uh and Marmal I just feel like is just nuts like yeah. I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he you know, like just him losing his cool in a moment of insecurity when someone's questioning his bona fides as a major league manager would not surprise me in any setting uh, based on his track record so far. Yeah. And I, I hope it's, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna, I feel like we've been pretty negative on Marmol and I, I, I'm not, I, I'd say I have some concerns. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, these are things that he can, uh, turn around and, and this isn't, doesn't define who he is. Cause frankly, if it does, he ain't going to be around much longer. <laughs> they, they ain't going to put up with this. No, ask Mike. Yeah. Ask Mike Schilt how, uh, yeah. how that goes. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, yeah. He'll be, he'll you know, be, and uh, he was just mean behind closed doors. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, all right, Ben. Well, so moving on and we, I, I said kind of jokingly, you know, that Tyler O'Neill dogging it, was the reason the Cardinals were two and four. But our next main topic is the rotation, which uh, I think really is the reason the Cardinals are two and four. So uh, the starting rotation, Ben, um, it hasn't been good. Uh, but what do we? It also hasn't been long. Um, what do we? What do we think, Ben? What What have we learned from the starting rotation? Well, we we have learned that uh, the St. Louis Cardinals did not build 
a rotation around the safest way to be effective as a pitcher, which is swings and misses and strikeouts. And this is something that we have harped on uh, for years now, I guess, uh, on this podcast, that the Cardinals need to find a way to add more strikeouts uh, to their entire pitching staff, but especially to their rotation. And, uh, you know, we, I think, somewhat uh, famously referred to Stephen Matz as Dr. Thunder. And uh, this rotation has been, you know, something worse than Dr. Thunder yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throughout this young season. And it's, uh, it's what happens. You, you play with fire when you pitch to contact, uh, especially in the league as it is, as it is now, because players uh, have you hitters have started using technology to really be able to drive the ball and hit it hard. And then when you have potential changes to the baseball that you play with, which offensive production is up this year, if you're a team that's relying on pitch to contact and Rob Manfred's monkeying around with the baseball, you are kind of in a more vulnerable spot uh, than a team that relies more on the strikeout. And so, you know, it's, it's also, it's early. It's, uh, you know, we had an unusual spring training with the World Baseball Classic, and that's not so much an, ex- an excuse. It's just saying that, you know, pitchers who pitch to contact, who throw multiple pitches, like most of the Cardinals starters, um, instead of, you know, two, three pitch guys, you know, having a full spring training where you're able to work on all your pitches instead of trying to mix it in with World Baseball Classic appearances, uh, that type of thing, which not all the Cardinals starters were in the World Baseball Classic, but like Michaelis comes to mind where mm-hmm. I feel like he is a pitcher who, even though he's a veteran, would really benefit from being able to go through the full spring training and use all his pitches. Yeah, And, you know, you just watch these guys the last couple uh, series and they're missing spots and they're missing yeah. spots over the zone. And if you do that against lineups like the Blue Jays in Atlanta, you're you're going to be in trouble because they have very deep lineups who can do a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I agree with everything you said, Ben. I think there's a potential silver lining uh, that uh, you know could turn things around for them. Um, and uh, I, I did. I looked at a couple numbers before we jumped on here, and and yeah, in this early season, league wide, um, offensively average on base percentage and slugging are all up. Um, and so uh, it's a little early, but honestly, those trends tend to happen pretty, pretty fast. Um, the ball definitely early data suggests the, it's a, it's a juicy ball this year. And so I think that's part of it. It does seem like there is reason to think that the, the shift rule is having a bit of an impact on that as well. So um, both of those factors, um, kind of suggests we're probably going to see uh, a more offensive environment this year. And as you said, that does not bode well for a pitch to contact team like the Cardinals who don't get a lot of strikeouts. The way you avoid, you know, hits, walks and powerful hits is you get strikeouts. That said, um, the Cardinals are through this, the, the Cardinals starters through these first six games are a 24th in the league in fielding independent pitching. They're also 24th in the league in walk percentage. And I think that might be the thing that's really, really killing them. 
Now, I didn't crunch the numbers to figure out how many of those uh, walks came just specifically from Flaherty. It might be all of them. But, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously, they're giving up to, you know, they're giving up a ton of contact and, and, and a lot of damage is coming on that contact. But they're always going to be they're always going to pitch to contact. That's not going to change. But I do feel like these guys and we know who these guys are. These are not high walk pitchers for the most part. Um, and so I think that's maybe been a bit of a fluke in this first kind of you know turn through the rotation. And in general, I don't expect these to be starters who are giving up a lot of walks. And, and, and that should, I think, limit the damage that we've seen. There will still be damage. There will still be balls put in play. But it's those extra base runners that are out there when you give up that. That's just an absolute backbreaker. So I guess, um, it, you know, it's never going to be uh, – you know, this is not going to be a, a top 10 starting rotation by any means. But, you know, I think if they can limit the walks, maybe they can be more of a middle of the pack starting rotation and uh, ish and, and with the, the offense and hopefully with, you know, some, you know, maybe, uh, you know, finding some uh, better results or, you know, guys in better roles in the bullpen, you, you know, you still have the kind of overall results on the season that I think we all projected for them. Yeah, and you know, getting Jake Woodford out of the rotation should help too. <laughs> well, um, I think we actually have some questions about that. Uh, should we roll into the questions, Ben? Yeah, let's let's get into them. All right. So um, our first question is actually not about Jake Woodford. Um, this uh, Bill Dozier asks, uh, "I worry about Newt's thumb injury as these things tend to sap power for about a year." Do you think that will affect plans to trade extra outfielders at the deadline or sooner for pitching? Um, no, I, I don't think it will. I, I think right now it sounds like it's more of a, of a jam than like a fracture or a ligament like tear, um, which are very damaging and so right now I'm holding out hope that it's not so severe that it's like a year long ordeal for him. But if it is, and he's going to be the fourth or fifth outfielder, like this team, as he alludes to in the question, as Bill does, uh, they have depth in the outfield. So I, I feel like, you know, that of course presupposes that they don't trade Tyler O'Neill uh, after Marmol you know, makes an ultimatum to the front office or something. Um, but they, they have depth in the outfield. They can cover a newt bar injury and, and slide him out of a primary role if they need to. So I'm not horribly concerned about it right now. And I, and I also think if they have to make a trade for a pitcher, it will be, uh, they, they will trade from the minor leagues to make that happen. I think, more than from major league or, or major league adjacent depth, uh, you know, at, at the AAA level. So I, I don't think it's that concerning. Yeah. And actually Ben, it might be good to jump down to Andrew Schneider has kind of a similar question I see down below. Cause he asks what trade or trades do you see the Cardinals making with what now looks like a five to six player deep outfield? Do you think there's a place for Newt, Burley, Tyler O'Neill, Walker, and DC on the roster? Yepes is the sixth man, clearly. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I tend to agree with you. Um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion 
that they trade some of this, you know, outfield depth, or or at least that that's you know that's the move that they make in exchange for for pitching. I think it's possible, but um, I think I, um, uh, you know one thing that I think um, when you have this kind of situation where we start a year off and we're like, oh geez, we've got four potential guys or we've got five potential guys that all could be starters. Well, what tends to happen is by the time you get to the trade deadline, it's clear to you who the three guys are and who the two backup guys are. And it's clear to everyone you're trading with too. So the guys that you, you know, the, the, the guys who you, if if you you think you're going to trade the guys that aren't your three starters anymore, they just really don't have the kind of value that you sort of tend to think they do. Now, last year, the Cardinals did trade Bader, who was their starting center fielder. And, you know, so they they kind of, um, you know, utilize that. You know, could they do something like that again? There's still enough numbers there to do that. But to do that two years in a row, um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's it's certainly possible, um, but I don't necessarily see that happening I mean, I've said before, Yepes to me is a kind of a quad A guy. I don't really see a lot of value there. And when you get beyond that, you know, Newt Burley, Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson, those are all guys that are on the roster right now. I think those guys all are, look to get, you know, honestly, plenty of kind of like rotation and playing time. So I don't really see, um, like, I, I, I don't see, uh, I mean, I think they're fine. <laughs> like, I think those that like, I, if I'm the Cardinals, I uh, and those guys are all contributing. Like, I I keep all those guys. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, in the in the attempt to trade for a catcher before they sign Contreras, you know, like they tried to get the A's to take one or both of Bur- Burleson and uh, Yepes, and the yeah. A's are like, no. So, I mean, I think. You know, maybe Burley increases his value a little bit. Maybe, yeah. maybe Yepes does, but I don't think so. Yeah. So I just, I think that they're both useful players, but that doesn't mean that they're valuable players at the trade deadlines. So they yeah. might, they might be part of a multiplayer package, but you know, more and more, I think Burley is going to be someone who. Uh, who's going to get a lot of plate appearances against righties. The team really likes him. They really like his batted ball uh, profile. And I mean, I think he's, he's going to get a lot of plate appearances and I think Carlson will as well. And we've talked about this, that we think this team needs to move away from the everyday player model and go more towards a 400 to 500 plate appearance model. And this outfield very much enables them to do that and keep these players a little bit more fresh because you are dealing with a Jordan Walker. Who's never been through this grind before Burley's never been through this grind before. And Carlson had the grind get to him last year. And so Mm -hmm. you do. And Newbar has never really done the major league grind before. So uh, even though the pepper grinder is his signature celebration. So, you know, like cutting down on, on the wear and tear on these players, I think also has value. And I think the club, you know, should be open to that. Well, we had a question on the last episode too, kind of a similar question. And it, it referred to how the Cardinals mismanage these assets. And that's something I said, then I'll kind of reiterate here is, I mean, when these guys, when we don't see a trade actually manifest for these guys, you know, we're projecting our 
idea of what their value is as an asset. So you, you kind of create a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you think all of these guys are super valuable and you imagine that any of these guys could fetch you a, a, a you know, major league quality starting rotation pitcher um, and you believe that, and then later on they get traded for something less than that, you feel like they didn't get the value that was there, but it's, there's no, reason to necessarily believe that that you know that they have that value so it i i just would caution people against setting your mind to uh what the value is for a player and maybe more so taking those small little data points like you mentioned what we know about that sean murphy trade that wasn't accepted every now and then we get little snippets like that that kind of give us a little bit of a window into oh maybe this is what you know the league thinks of, of some of these guys all right, moving to the next question. Uh, Greg Maturin asks, why is the front office always utterly convinced the pitching is good slash acceptable with respect to performance and depth when it is not? They were willing to trade offensive production for Murphy, but not a starter. It's a real blind spot. Maybe this was a rant. Sorry, a few minutes later, feel free to ignore my ranting. Sorry, you're not my therapist. <laughs> ben, I think we can we can be folks therapists to an extent, don't you? I feel like that's a service we can provide here on Cardinals Off Day. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I think, so the question asks, why uh, is the front office always utterly convinced that the pitching is good slash acceptable? I don't think the front office believes their pitching is good. I do think they believe it's acceptable. And I think yes, I think they're willing to roll with acceptable. Yes, it's good enough. Yes, <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> um, and and I think I think the, the and this is something that we we try to stress here is that it is important not to draw an artificial line between ownership and the front office. Yeah. Right. the The front office thinks that the pitching staff is acceptable because they are not allowed to spend money on someone like Justin Verlander, even though Justin Verlander was like the ideal acquisition or the profile of an ideal acquisition for this team. And it just, it was not going to happen. And so I, I think, you know, that's number one, uh, number, number two, with respect to the pitching staff. And we saw this a lot, Last year, also, once the team dealt with injuries, uh, most prominently to Flaherty, they had to go out and they had to get Quintana to, well, they, they had to cover it internally. Then they had to go out and add Montgomery and Quintana to the rotation, right? And everyone was like, why didn't they, you know, they could have signed Quintana in the offseason. Well, if you're a free agent and a team has five incumbent starters and you want to start, Okay, are you going to sign with the Cardinals if they cannot guarantee a spot in the rotation to you? No, you aren't. You know, so the Cardinals are left with building depth through players they already have. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it is the uh, Dakota Hudson. He's under control. He has options. So he's in AAA. It's Matthew Libertor. He's under control. He has options. So he's in AAA. And that's how most teams build depth in the rotation. Or you can get some swing guys. Well, 
how many swing guys are aces, Ben? Not very many. <laughs> and and so, you know, part of it is, and, and this is what we talked about in the offseason, they decided once again to essentially be held hostage by Jack Flaherty. And they felt the upside was enough to justify penciling him into the rotation um, and moving forward with the plan being he is plan A Mm -hmm. and plan B is Hudson, Libertor, Woodford, et cetera. And then maybe someone at the trade deadline. And while I don't agree with it, I can totally understand it. Uh, especially when you look at Flaherty's standing amongst other players, you know, he's active in the players association. I think he has people's respect. I think they want to treat him well because they still want to be a destination for players where players want to go. And so it's not sexy. It's not fun, uh, but it's good enough to compete for the ML central. It's, it's absolutely good enough. And that's the thing I think we have to recognize is you know, their goal is to get into the playoffs, to compete for and often win their division and get into the playoffs. And this model that they use, it absolutely does that. You cannot argue that it doesn't do that. They roll out there with these, uh, you know, uh, store brand cola free agents and the, you know, whatever they happen to have in their system and a bunch of, you know, swing men that they, you know, pick up uh, in Korea and Japan. They roll those guys out there for the first half of the season. And then at, at the trade deadline, uh, they, they trade some really worthless minor league talent for a couple of 38-year-old pitchers who are having a good season. Um, they have done this for a few years now, and I think they will do the same thing this year and it probably will work again to get them in the playoffs. Now you can question, well, I mean, you can always say, well, geez, I wish they would, uh, I wish they would approach things differently. I wish they would, um, you know, and I think you can, uh, there are people who say, well, that doesn't leave you with a, a very competitive team in the playoffs because then you don't have that ace pitcher in the playoffs. Now, some of the data on that is a little shaky. Like when you actually look at like, do you need an ace pitcher to succeed in the playoffs? It's not as clear as people think it is, but I still think that's a reasonable question to ask. And certainly if you've watched the Cardinals get smoked several years in a row, not having that in the playoffs, that makes sense. You know, you can ask questions like that, but you're right. There's there's a template this front office, or not this front office, excuse me, this ownership sets for how they want to operate. The front office executes that and, and they execute it really, really well, and they do achieve the goal they're set out for. So um, we don't always like the aesthetics of that. And I think the pitching is probably the aesthetic that we like the least of the way this team operates, but it does, um, it does accomplish what they are going for. Um, In keeping with the theme of starting pitching, um, Scotty at Grand Slam, Scotty asks, can the starting pitchers calm down and command some control over their pitching before it gets too far out of hand? We all know we have a stacked one through nine, but there will be times we don't have nine, 10, 11 runs scored and limiting the opposition to a low run count would be nice. Well, you know, and sometimes they'll score nine runs and give up two leads to the Blue Jays and lose 10 to nine. Uh, So, uh, and he hit on something that you have hit on and it's really, you know, the walks are a problem. And if you don't get the strikeouts, you can't afford many walks. And I, I think with Michaelis, you're not going to see a lot of walks. I think Montgomery, 
I feel pretty confident about that yeah. as well. Flaherty is a total wild card. I have yes. no idea what to expect from him this year. Um, he's just all over the place, and he could he could uh, dress as a nurse and blow up a hospital. Ben, we don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> well, you know what they say: that which doesn't kill you makes you stranger. So, um, the uh, the the rotation, the walks. It, it's a very good tweet. Uh, the the walks are a problem. This team gives up too much contact to also give up walks. So it's they've got something's got to give and hopefully uh it's not the earned run average you know giving and going up even higher yeah but i will say after a couple of years back when um uh you know uh they had a uh the uh the john gant experiment let's call it that and uh <laughs> uh you know they had some pitchers who were just high walk pitchers they have really, really steered very hard against that. Yes. And if you walk people, you are not part of this team. And and no. so these these guys, again, Flaherty is absolutely an asterisk because he's just a real question mark at this point. But uh, but really, for me, the rest of these guys, um, and, and I'm talking their Zips projections and just their historic history and everything, I expect them to ultimately be pretty low walk pitchers. And so I would expect that that all comes down. All right. Uncle Frank uh, at FR Robinson 1957 asks, have Libertor and Hudson become cool again? Oh, interesting. Now, this question presupposes that Hudson was ever cool, but I will set that aside. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, You know, um, I think those two pitchers are in kind of, for me anyway, I'll say this, are in very different places. Um, you know, I do think, um, you know, Matthew Liberator is kind of once again, the new hotness, right? Um, had a good spring training. Um, I watched one of his minor league starts the other day, um, you know, and look good. A lot of strikeouts, keeping that fastball velocity up and actually looking like he's kind of doing something with that fastball. And then that, you know, which really makes that always has been a very good curveball of his actually an effective, um, you know, curveball. So like, when you see him pitch like that, it's like, okay, I can, you know, I can see something here. Now at the same time, I'll say, you know, he's on his, this is, I think his third year that he's kind of been doing some time in AAA. Um, You know, there comes a point where you're just too good for AAA guys. And so there's, you know, could be some of that. Um, We'll see. I think we also Liberator being the, could be in the rotation guy who's in Memphis I think we get a little bit of the kind of backup quarterback syndrome with him, right? Where, um, you know, it's like, oh man, if only Libertor was up here when we're watching Woodford get shelled. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, you could have flip-flopped him and we could have watched Libertor get shelled while, you know, Woodford, you know, you know, through, you know, seven solid innings. So, but that said, I am optimistic about Libertor. Libertor is much younger. Libertor has a strong pedigree. I, I think Libertor is the the guy that I have the most uh, optimism about potentially coming up and and having a you know positive kind of impact in the rotation. Um, Hudson, I don't has Hudson pitched in the mind. I don't even know if he's pitched and what his results have been down there. But I'm 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 just not even paying attention to him at this point. Yeah, I have uh, I the the pitching for Pittsburgh joke in the season preview um with Hudson I I think is pretty reflective of where both of us are 
uh, on him as a pitcher this year. Um, I have not seen a line from him in the minors this year, and I have popped over on the ML or MILB TV, which is available on the MLTV app now. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at I haven't too. seen him. He has one. He has one start. He went five innings. He gave up um, three hits, three walks, and a home run. So that's not very good. No, that's about what you would expect from Dakota Hudson. So right, but but uh, he's doing it against minor league talent now instead of major league <laughs> talent. So it's even worse. Yeah the uh, the quadruple A uh, hitters the the professional hitters are are doing some damage on him now. So I I mean I think Libertor is becoming cool again. Um, and I don't think Hudson will ever be cool again, at least not for Cardinals fans. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, we're kind of trashing on Hudson and everything. And it is a little sad. I mean, he was a, a, a high draft pick and somebody they, you know, they had some hopes for and, um, you know, had an injury and, and velocities down and things like that. And just kind of looking like maybe his career will never amount to what they hoped it would. And that's, that's always a bummer, but you know, that's the way the way it goes. Um, so Ben, uh, Jason Hill at JP Hill cards, uh, who's over at our, our old haunt at uh, Viva Albertos asks, uh, who will have the best, uh, uh, FIP or F war. He says we can decide. I think we let's go with FIP fielding independent pitching, Jake Woodford, Adam Wainwright, or Matthew Libertor. Ooh. Um, well, Woodford did some damage to his uh, <laughs> FIP and his and with the home runs he allowed in his first start, and I am not optimistic he's going to get a lot of innings to kind of pull that down. Um, but I, I probably would have picked him third among this group anyway, unless he was just pitching in relief. Yeah. If he's starting, I'm not a big. You know, th- this is one of those things where it's almost the backup quarterback syndrome where everyone is like, hey, you got to give Woodford an opportunity because yeah. he's come in and pitched in relief in one inning stints or yeah. you know, maybe two inning stints and pitched really well. Well, that is not starting. And, you know, you're you're seeing you've got a taste of that. And I fear we might get more of a taste of it. Um, and so I'm going to pick him last. And Wainwright. I just with the health questions, I guess I'll go with him second and I'll go with Libertor number one overall. I think he has the best stuff of the three. And um, I, I think uh, he will have the best FIP of, of the three for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Well, uh, I mean, I agree. I would definitely put Woodford last. I just don't think Woodford is very good, um, you know, and, you know, to his credit, he does seem like he's he's worked hard and they, you know, he did things they asked him to do. And I think he's a guy who, um, you know, uh, if you need him to, uh, you know, eat innings or just, you know, go uh Etc. He's he's uh, he's a body. He can still serve that function, but um, I just don't see any kind of a high end projection for Woodford because I just don't see a a skill set there that manifests itself in that. So Woodford's definitely last for me. Um, for for me, if I'm talking about Wainwright versus Liberator, um, I'm still going to put Adam Wainwright 
at tops. Um, yep, he is injured now and he's incredibly old, but he's he's done it before and Libertor hasn't. Um, you know, in a way, it'd be great if it is Libertor and it means that Libertor, you know, comes up and takes a step forward and it's him ascendant and, you know, Libertor, you know, becomes a guy who could be like a, you know, a number three type rotation guy for this team, um, you know, which I think he has the potential to do. And this team would really benefit if they had a, a Matthew Libertor that could ascend to that role. But, you know, I mean, he's again, he's pitching in AAA right now. And so I still feel like I, I need to see a lot more from him to see that he can do that and can do that consistently. So I'd, I'd still put Wainwright at the, at the top. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Libertor, um, you know, showed us something or and or, you know, Wainwright right through injury and age was just uh, completely cooked. All right. So we've already uh, covered Andrew Schneider's uh, question a little bit. So let's move on to our final one uh, from lefty at Herbie Husker 55, who asks, here's a fun question. What is your favorite Cardinals related book? Um, yeah, um, my, uh, favorite, uh, Cardinals, uh, related book is, um, oh gosh, what is it? It's the David Halberstam book. Um, is it, is it summer of 64? I'm blanking on the name now. Do I have that right? Oh, I think so. Okay. Um, uh, I should have, uh, I should have, uh, why, why do I feel like that's not quite the right title? Um, uh, Gosh, now I'm see now I'm looking it up because um, I feel like uh, I, it's, it's bothering me that I don't I feel like I'm not remembering the the October 1964. That's right, it's October 1964 because it's uh, uh, anyway. Um, so October 1964, David Halberstam, which um, focuses on the Cardinals, but also the Yankees. Um, so it's ostensibly about their World Series that they compete in that season, but. Um, it also kind of backs off and, and, and a little bit tells you the story of the season leading up to it, but, but then also even kind of backs off from that and just really paints the characters on both teams. And they're, they're just, you know, extremely interesting characters on, on both teams, you know, on the Yankees side, you have kind of the, you know, the tail end of, you know, the dynasty with, you know, Mantle and Barra and, and all of those, you know, kind of figures and then on the, you know, the Cardinals side, of course, you've got, you know, you've got Gibson and Bill White and um, you know, Kurt Flood and, and all of those kind of uh, players there as well. So there's there's uh, really interesting, you know, characters there. Um, the fact that the Cardinals club embraced integration in a much a bigger way than the Yankees did and what that kind of how that manifests for the team and the clubhouse you know, plays a part in it as well. Um, and Halber Sam is just a, a tremendous writer. You know, this was back in the era when, um, you know, the world valued and paid journalists. So people could like, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, th these, these, these folks could uh, absorb, um, uh, you know, ab absorb a world like this and take the time to really craft uh, a story like this. And so it's just, uh, you know, it's amazingly well told. It's it's that kind of nonfiction that almost reads like fiction, just with the you know the rich rich characters and the the you know depth of the narrative. And it's just the sort of like classic sports narrative that actually has that almost you know epic feel um, to it as it um, as it all plays out. So even though it took me an embarrassing long time to remember the uh, <laughs> remember the uh, the actual title, uh, I'm going to go with October 1964. Ben. Uh, how about you? 
Um, I the George Vesey Stan Musial uh, book uh, biography is really good. Um, but I I think a lot of our listeners have probably read that book. Um, so I'm gonna instead recommend uh, John Heidenry's book, The Gas House Gang, and, and this is a very long subtitle, How Dizzy Dean, Leo DeRocher, Branch Rickey, Pepper Martin, and their colorful come-from-behind ball club won the World Series in America's Heart during the Great Depression. That That is the title of the book and subtitle. Um, and it I like it because it gets into Branch Rickey a little bit and ties together the Gas House Gang with Rickey and how he you know, created all these minor league teams and, and had this philosophy for how the Cardinals, you know, could compete and win, uh, through developing players and creating a feeder system for their major league team. And it also just has a a ton of good gas house gang anecdotes in it, uh, and kind of paints a, a good picture, uh, of what that team was and why it was fun and it's just a different era for the Cardinals uh, and America as well. And I really enjoyed it. And it, it's funny to hear people, you know, like the Cardinals are the fun haters now and the Cardinal way and all this. And it's like, well, yeah, but we also had the Gas House Gang, which is yeah. like <laughs> the most antithetical, uh, you know, group of guys with respect to like playing it the right way and, it, you know, all that. So it, it's it's a fun book about an era of baseball that is long gone. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's I actually haven't read that one. So I'll check that out. Um, can I take a slight diversion? Have I told you about you? You mentioned the Vessi Stan Musial book. Have I told you about the total uh, horseshit story that's in there that I no stumbled on to no so there's a story in that book um about it's this it's this kind of anecdote but it's 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 a fairly lengthy little kind of anecdote in the in the book about this uh guy who um is a was a like minor or a minor league player who got this really brief call up with the cardinals and then um it's christmas and he can't get home to his family and stan invites him over to his house and like feeds him christmas dinner and then pays for him to like fly home and all this and the guy is uh like an usher at uh in memphis i believe who like tells this story and apparently like regularly tells this story. And it's a super like heartwarming story. So when we were writing at Viva Alberto's, I was like, Oh, you know what? I should like, kind of like write this, you know, talk to this guy and like write a version of this story up there. Cause it's a really great story. So I actually got in touch with this guy. It is complete horseshit. This guy never played in the minor leagues. This is a completely fabricated story. And I don't know what, I mean, Vessi, I'm honestly shocked that he like this got in there because in fact, you know, and of course now minor league records are pretty uh, complete. Easy to come by. Pretty easy to come by. So it's actually just, it's pretty easy just from that to kind of verify that this guy did not play in the minor leagues. But I talked to him too and, and just kind of went through like just some real basic like, Hey, you know, like who, you know, who can you put me in touch with who you played with or like, who can you like, where were you in these times, you know, just the really basic, you know, I used to be an actual journalist, by the way, people, I don't always talk about that, but like, <laughs> I did used to be an actual journalist and he couldn't do any of it. So it's just a total horseshit story that's in there. So <laughs> I was like, and I didn't write anything about it. Cause I was like, I don't know, I guess that's this guy's, I mean, I think that's a scumbag thing to do to tell a story like that, but I still felt like I'm not going to go out of my way to like publish that this guy's a lion sack but i will say it at the tail end of a 
of a podcast. So anyway, <laughs> I won't say the guy's name, but if you check out the book and you hit that story, you'll know who it is. So we could have we could have gone after the clicks. We could have we could have yeah. checked Vessi's <laughs> book and, and got the clickbait for the the Vox Media Empire. Hey Vessi, uh, hey Vessi, come on this podcast. Come on this podcast. Um, <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, hey, we're time to wrap things up here. So as we go forward, uh, what do you be looking for? Uh, going forward, uh, I'm most interested to see uh, how Mar- whether Marmol continues to punish O'Neill uh, or if this is the opening Carlson uh, was hoping for and he's kind of the new primary center fielder moving forward so i'm i'm pretty interested to see how how much marmal is willing to go after o'neill uh over this little disagreement they've had yeah no that's that's a something i think we'll probably all be watching for uh and i'm gonna keep it boring because i've mentioned this a couple times already but i am gonna watch those um kind of starting pitcher walks because you know if we see those um come down uh and we see the results not get better, I think that might, <laughs> that might be concerning because my whole thesis here is that, um, you know, it's those inflated walks that are really making this worse than we expected. Um, you know, but if, if these guys do start, you know, pitching at a, the low walk rate we expected and, you know, they're still just getting shelled every game, then I think they're, then I will actually start to think this rotation might really be in trouble and might need some more kind of wholesale changes. So, um, ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? Uh, I do. Sam Miller, uh, who I think most recently wrote for ESPN, also wrote for uh, Fangraphs, uh, did the Effectively Wild podcast, if my memory serves me correct. Yep. Uh, he has a new, uh, a new Substack pebble hunting podcast. Uh, that is available. Uh, I really enjoy his writing and he's had some really great posts uh, in the early going this season. And so I encourage all of our listeners to check that out. It's really good stuff. No. Yeah. Nice. And I have, um, I've read uh, at least one or two of his posts and, and yeah, he's one of my favorite baseball writers. So I was really excited to see him kind of back in the, back in the mix. Um, uh, So my off day recommendation, um, actually, um, our, our good friend, uh, Dan, who does our social media, he and I on opening day, as a matter of fact, went to, uh, a, a book signing, uh, event, um, with an author here, uh, his name's Chris Moeller and he has a new book called the St. Louis baseball mosaic. Um, and the subtitle is 10 cultural and entertainment histories of the gateway city and her favorite game. And um, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little ways into this book, Ben. So I'm recommending, you know, a book that I have not completed reading yet. So there's always a little bit of a risk there. But um, I have to say, it's a, it's a really fascinating book to me. And I think a lot of our readers would like it. Um, it's, it's very much, I would say, not your kind of typical um, baseball book. Um, it's, uh, the chapters are focused on, I might almost call them like, um, you know, curios in some cases, or just kind of interesting, um, interesting pieces. So, you know, um, and, and he does consider, um, some things related to the Cardinals, the Browns, as well as the stars. Um, so, and, you know, in some cases it is some, um, you know, more famous, 
you know, players, um, uh, you know, like a cool Papa Bell or something like that. But for example, um, there is a chapter about the, and I'm blanking on the name of the hotel, but it's a, a hotel where all of the visiting players used to stay. And it's the hotel where uh, Harry Carey was hit by the car outside of it. And, and uh, Babe Ruth had a number of extremely like sordid incidents there. And he just kind of gets into all of this really like interesting kind of sordid history, baseball related history that happened like in and around this hotel. And, um, you know, and, and like one anecdote he kind of tells related to that, that I thought was really interesting is, uh, you know, Ruth had his, um, you know, everybody kind of thinks about his like final appearance at Yankee stadium, um, you know, like uh, leaning on the bat as a crutch. And that was sort of his like farewell to baseball, but he actually appeared at, um, in St. Louis, um, uh, a short time after that at this like sort of American Legion um, event, but that was also at the um, at Sportsman's Park um, for something there. So that was actually kind of his like final at a major league stadium like appearance there. And, and so I've just, um, like I said, I'm only a little ways into it, but I feel like, um, you know, I've read a lot of baseball books. I've read a lot of like St. Louis Cardinals baseball books and things like that. And this is one that really has, you know, dug up some interesting tidbits that I wasn't aware of. And in some cases, it's just because he's he's looking in some really kind of interesting and unusual places. So if that's the kind of thing that is of interest to you, I'd say check that out. All right. Uh, I will. I am definitely going to do so. Um, I was unable to attend the event, uh, much to my chagrin, but uh, I'm excited to read that book. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, and he actually he does he lives here in Des Moines too, Ben. So um, he's oh, got, even better. He's got that going for him. So um, <laughs> anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, no, uh, thank you everyone for listening, and hopefully the Cardinals give us a little bit more to cheer for over the week ahead. Absolutely. Thank you as always to Devon for the theme music, to Dan for social media, and we will see you on the next Cardinals often. Go Cardinals!